We're finally at Jericho today. Yes. So I, we didn't, we kind of, you know, we were like, we're, we're going to go to Jericho. And then it was like, oh, we're going to Jericho. <laughs> so today we're going to get to Jericho. <laughs> but we're going to start with the numbers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So numbers where they're complaining about the bread. <laughs> so Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Now, yeah, this one. Now, first of all, when modern pastors start talking about this in regards to people having issues with what they're doing, I start to get twitch, you know, like, really? Because you're Moses. But at the same time, I think there is a lesson in that if you have a problem with someone that is in a position and doing something that God has called them to do, you really are saying you have a problem with God. Now, if you have a legitimate concern about what someone is doing or how they are doing it, go to them and talk to them. And, and there is... We just got started. Um, there, there is a very real issue, and it's prevalent in, in communities, of spiritual abuse. And there are pastors who are spiritually abusive to their congregations. And, and if you do something or say something they don't like, they will shame you with scripture, and they will keep you in your place. And if you are trying to leave, you know, how dare you? And if you have a problem with what they're doing, touch not the Lord's anointed. Okay? And... Yeah. <laughs> and and that what you know when you start realizing that spiritual abuse is going on, get out. You don't have to stay and try and fix it. You don't have to stay and and think you've done something wrong. You don't have to stay and put up with it. Get out. <laughs> she hitting you with the Bible. <laughs> You're like, oh, I feel shamed. <laughs> also, Fiona can move from leaning on the chair if somebody wants to sit on the chair. Those you guys are all like, as long as you're comfy and cozy. As long as you love each other. There you go. <laughs> I was going to say, as long as no one smells. <laughs> That's funny. So, so well, so basically, it's okay to have problems with someone in in ministry is what, with what they're doing, but go to them and and give them a chance to correct it. And keep in mind that just because you would do it differently doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. And, and you know, there was even a point where I really felt like somebody needed to be moving into a different realm of ministry and doing something. And I was talking to God about it. And he said, basically, he, he really let me know. He said, if I put him in that position and I haven't moved them out... That's between them and me. It's none of your business. 
And so, so really what we have a picture of here, what Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. And, and that's very different from having, having a legitimate concern and addressing a legitimate concern. That's grumbling. That's, and when people start grumbling in a congregation, then it just gets ugly. It gets divisive. Rumors get spread. Um, you know, the last congregation that I, that I was involved in, at one point we, we kind of had a, a, call a mini split. You know, it, it could have been a much bigger thing, but, but the way it was handled, a few people left. But the people who left were believing accusations from a couple of people that were just not true. Um, in fact, the district came in and did an investigation because of the accusations, and they're like, it did not happen that way. That is not, we see no evidence that there was wrongdoing. It was a difference of agreement. And so some of the people, when, when the rabbi tried to get a hold of them and say, can we sit down and talk? Can I share with you my perspective about what happened to try and give you? They were like, oh, no, I know all I need to know. And he was like, okay. And these are people who'd been there for years. I mean, they, they knew everybody. They were not, it wasn't, <coughs> they knew, and they knew everything. I absolutely believe that happened. Well, can I, can I sit down and talk? No. I don't need any more information. Alrighty. And, and really, you know, there's a point where I, I tell people, if you really believe, there are certain things that if you truly believe them, you should have been gone already. You shouldn't have stayed any longer once you did, you know, if you really believe that somebody is out of God's will or that somebody is spiritually abusive, if you believe that, whether it's true or not, you should go. Because you will not be fed there. You will not be ministered to there. And staying will only lead to you grumbling because you're going to be convinced you're right and you'll start to think you need to save everybody else and, you know, different, different things will happen. So, so what we have here, you know, spoke against Moses. And why, and what's this big issue that they had with Moses? What was this grave error, this big sin that he had committed that he was out of God's will with? Because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently something about her now is bugging them. Yeah. 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 So he married an Ethiopian woman and they were mad. They were upset, so they spoke against him because of this. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And he had, because Miriam uh, prophesied and praised after they came through the Reds. Yes, absolutely yes. Aaron was the high priest. Absolutely God had spoken through him. Yes, yeah, exactly. And your point would be, you know, God uses us. Why is Moses in charge? Because that was what God set up. And that's the point where I say, when that's your issue, your issue is not with Moses, it's with God. You know, God, why didn't you put me in charge? Take it up with God. Don't grumble against Moses. You know, a lot of things Moses had said, I'm pretty sure he'd rather not be in that position. <laughs> you know? He's like, you know, I could just see him being like, take it, go, you know, by all means, don't let me be in charge of this grumbling people. You know, 
Because that lot, he's asked God to kill him a bunch of times, you know. <laughs> He's like, seriously, you may be in charge of these people. Just kill me now. And, you know, so. <laughs> and, and so they're grumbling about him, and the Lord heard it. Yeah, oh, yeah. So now the man Moses was very meek. Um, in in the, the Chumash, it says, incredibly humble. Now, one, yeah, because meek is not weak. The meek shall inherit the earth. But humility, a lot of times I've heard it taught in ways that are, are just really, at some point I had kind of internalized the idea that to be humble meant you should take up as little space as you could, that you should not impose on anyone, that you should use only what you needed and, and no more. And then I was reading about and talking with someone who'd been reading something else about the Hebraic understanding of humility. And the Hebraic understanding of humility is you are taking up exactly as much space as God created you to take up. Some people, it's a lot more space than other people. Moses, who's incredibly humble, is leading all of Israel. Why is he leading all of Israel? Because he understands that God put him there. It's not anything that he did because of his worth. It's not something that he deserves. And, and that's why he was able to be used that way. Because he wouldn't have been grumbling that somebody else, I'm, I'm not, I'm not I was leading them just fine. They were listening. No, no. He, he was in the place where God wanted him to be, doing what God wanted him to do. He was taking up the space in the world that God had created him to take up. No more and no less. Because to take up more is to say that God didn't give you enough and somebody else isn't worthy of what they have. And to take up less would be self-degradation to say that I'm not worthy of what God made me to do and I, I, I don't dare to do it. So when you take up the space God made for you to take up, that's humility. And he was very meek more than all people who were on the face of the earth. So from the Lord's perspective, he's got this person who's doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. He's got these other people over here who he has used going, well, he's married to that Ethiopian woman and why is God using him? Why, why is he getting all the credit? Why aren't we getting any of the credit? And, and this, so this is the, the situation that God's looking at going, hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly it's like serious you know okay god i'll do it but really i know stop talking about my wife you know? <laughs> and suddenly the lord said to moses and to aaron and miriam so i'm guessing they're having a fight in there and 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 here comes daddy coming out come out you three to the tent of meeting and the three of them came out. <coughs> yeah. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, <laughs> she getting, oh, she's right under the air conditioner. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There you go. Generator. And he said, 
hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So in other words, yeah, you're prophets. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. When I, with him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So yeah, I come to you in dreams. I speak with you. You are prophets. But with Moses, I speak face to face. Really? You're grumbling against him? You think I chose poorly? Exactly. But lots of people do. Lots of people do. Yeah. Yeah, not but Moses. Yeah, exactly. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And that's one of the things to keep in mind, because, you know, we've talked before about how people seem to think that the anger of God is aggressive. But really, the anger of God cuts you off. So there's, in the Hebrew language, there's, there's different letters that have a picture of the open hand of God and the closed hand of God. And when God's hand is opened against you, it's like, you know, come take my hand. And, and blessings pour out and, and love pours through. When God's hand is closed, it's really more a picture of his back is to you. Now you do not want God's back to you. That, that is not the position you want to be in. So when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Yeah, it's like, oh, oops. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. So, so an example of how meek Moses is, okay, this woman's been ragging on his wife, you know, mad that he's in, the, how dare you be in this, who do you think you are? And as soon as he sees her like that, he's like, oh Lord, no, please heal her. Which, which is, a, well, and that, I was just going to say, which is, which is a good, a good lesson in how to respond when someone comes against you. Because when someone comes against you, no matter what your role in ministry or in life, they are coming against God. If you're doing what you, you know you were put in a position to do, and, and they, you know, there's a difference when someone comes and says, you know, I, it's really been on my heart, you're doing this, I'm really concerned about you, especially if what you're doing is a sin or what, you know, out of line or, or saying how you're doing this, I've really been, I've really been praying about this and I think I, should, I need to talk to you, you know. You can listen, and then you can take it to the Lord, and you can determine if it's right. But when someone just comes against you, and they're attacking you, who do you think you are? Yeah, yeah, look who you married. What do you think you're doing with that? Or you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. It's okay to just realize that's their issue. And if you believe you're doing what God put you there to do, then it's okay to not get upset. And, and if they turn leprous in front of you, you can just ask, okay, no, God, please heal them. I'm not mad. You know? <laughs> But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. She got grounded. She got grounded. <laughs> but she, 
it was made, basically God made it very public to the community that what she had done was very out of line and they should not do that. And, and exactly. And, um, and I think that she was an example, you know, she was a prophetess. She, she, he did, she did know God. He was using her and she was out of line. Moses' sister. Yeah. No, it's his sister. It's his actual sister. It's the one who hid in the reeds when he was. Yeah. Yeah. And. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and isn't it your family that sometimes goes, oh, I know you. I know all your faults. You know, I don't see why God's using you. You're not worthy of that, you know. There, there is some Jewish tradition also. There, there, is, a, there is a Jewish legend idea. Um, and again, I, I, don't know how, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's, it's quite fascinating. It kind of puts a little angle on this to consider, um, is that Miriam may not have been like a, a little kid, like we usually see, that she may have actually been one of the midwives in the community who, who had helped birth him. And, and, you know, and so she may have been an old... So, we're not even talking about like tiny little sibling rivalry necessarily. You know, this may be, and it may be that because she was so much older and she's gone, you know, who do you think you are? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you married that woman who is the bane of my existence. And <laughs> how dare you bring her into our house? And so exactly, exactly. And God was letting her know, Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. And and so Oh, I bet. I bet. So he put her outside, you know, so Miriam was shut outside the camp 7 days and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. And so her being out there meant that the whole community was essentially grounded. You're you're not going anywhere until this is restored. Yes, they waited for her. Well, yeah, and, and he, you know, he may have been out of, he may have been taking, you know, following her grumbling, or, you know, she may have been the instigator of the whole thing, and, I mean, Aaron, yeah, I mean, I love Aaron, but Aaron's got, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, even the golden calf thing, and, and he didn't sin, because God, he still got to be, pre, you know, the high priest, and, and so I'll, I'll believe his story, I just threw that in, and the, the cap just danced out of the fire, and, and I could see him being totally shocked. But really, that's how you were buying time? Okay, I'll make you an idol, you know. And so sometimes I look at Aaron and I go, come on. <laughs> and this is one of those, okay, maybe he didn't actually, yeah, you know, maybe he wasn't the biggest grumbler. Maybe, you know, it, clearly it fell on her, but he wasn't, he wasn't being like, no, Miriam, this is wrong. We should not be doing this. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Yeah, I don't like her that much, and yeah, I am the high priest, you know. <laughs> and so, but yes, he and and the the lack. I mean, it may just be cut be because he was the high priest and had to continue serving in that function. And so, I mean, you know, but there are. I do. I sometimes look at Aaron and go, really. But then that's when I can go. We need to have grace for all the leaders because they're all just human, and and make, you know, make the dumb mistakes and, 
Yeah. I, I truly believe that it is not a test of character when someone makes a mistake. It is a test of character how they respond when they are confronted. And, and when you are confronted by someone who's out of line, there's an appropriate way to respond. It is not to escalate the situation. When you are confronted by someone who's appropriate and you listen and, and you can you know, take that conviction from the Lord and make amends and say, hey, I messed up, then, then I go, character, yes. You know, but a lot of people think, I can't make any mistakes or everyone will think I'm, I'm human. And, and so then when someone comes to them with this mistake, I did not touch not the Lord's anointed. Who do you think you are? You know, and they want to get all in your face. And that's when you go, dude, <laughs> it's okay that you did something wrong, but fix it, you know, make it, make it right. So they, after that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So that was our big Miriam thing today. Um, Joshua. In Joshua, we are, we're going to do two chapters in Joshua because I was like, yeah, we're going to get to Jericho. And then by the end, I'm like, okay, we're not really, no, we're going to get to Jericho in the next chapter. Let's just do it. So <laughs> Jericho's fun. <laughs> So Joshua 5, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan. So that's what we talked about last time with the setting the stones and they walked across. Had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Like, oh, their God dried up the Jordan. We're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Our God is made of wood, and he doesn't actually do anything for us, and their God dries up water. We're in trouble. Yeah. You know, and I would imagine, I mean, obviously I'm extrapolating here, and, and this isn't in the text, but I would imagine that when they heard the Israelites were coming over, they began praying to their gods, and their gods did nothing to stop it. And their gods were not doing anything to protect them. And, yeah, they weren't real. Well, and, and there were spirits that were, I mean, they were real in a sense that there were spiritual forces that they were praying to that could do things. I mean, the, the idols themselves weren't real, but, but those spiritual forces were clearly not doing anything to stop what God was doing because they did not have the authority to stop what God was doing. So I'm sure that because, you know, even the Egyptian, the Egyptian priests were able to do all, almost all the miracles that Moses was doing. So I'm sure there were some really powerful spiritual forces. And a lot of times they would pray and things would happen and people probably got healed and they could put curses and get people sick and they could do all these things. And suddenly here comes this people that's ruled by this God that their gods weren't doing anything about. And I can imagine, I can imagine praying to the God that you know and nothing happens and their God's coming and you're going, oh, crud. We are in trouble. This is not going to end well. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. What? Yeah. Now, before you think like a, a, a double circumcision, <laughs> it does explain it. Because when I read it, I went, hadn't noticed that before. Okay. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them, because God knew you were going to ask. <laughs> 
All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So, it wasn't, yeah. Yes, it was a second time that a mass circumcision was done, but it was not like, you know, a double circumcision. <laughs> Get on back up here. We're going to take a little more off. You know, it was not. <laughs> yes, yeah, like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and God's taking them in to actually be the nation. You know, when he was taking them out to be the nation, they needed the sign of, of, of that. And now they're going, he's like, okay, I'm going to take you in. You're going to be the nation. You all need to be identified as my people. You need my mark on you. So, you know, for the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. No, it's like, really? No, seriously, we didn't do it a second time to the same people. No, really, their children. Their children did it. Right. Oh. Maybe. <laughs> when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Now, want to point something out here. Because God took them into Canaan and then made them incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yes. Because all these people who wanted to not have them be there, that would have been a great time. But God had already killed their spirits and they knew they were, you know, they were defeated already. And God, obviously God was protecting them. Nothing would have happened. But they stayed there till they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, well, and the reproach of Egypt may speak to the fact that it was a lot of, they were a mixed multitude when they went out. And, and that, you know, um, you know, so they'd been, obviously we're dealing with that, you know, in our, in our numbers section, all the different grumblings and all the different things that happened. And so those people are gone now. And, and so the reproach of Egypt is off of you. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. So they were not going to need the manna anymore. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, 
he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Right. Generally, when you read about the battle, of, the battle of Jericho, which wasn't a battle, they don't... Kind of. Not so much. Not really. It's a much, it's a much, yeah. Most of the time you don't start the story back here. Okay, so you're, he's outside of Jericho and God says, you're standing on holy ground. Joshua takes off his sandals. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. So they all ran inside, closed up the doors. We're not going out, they're coming. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. So we haven't, we haven't even gone in yet, and the Lord's like, this is a done deal. Okay. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Now, on the seventh day, or the seventh day, generally referencing the Shabbat. So the day of worship, God's day. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. So when the priests blow the trumpets, it's the trumpet of worship, not the trumpet of war. Yes. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. Okay, so the armed men are before the ark of the Lord, and they're walking around. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the people blew continually, or while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So, one of the things here is there, there, when God's doing something, sometimes there's a time to just shut your mouth and wait till it's time for you to speak. Sometimes even if you know you need to speak, if you speak at the wrong time, you throw it all off. And, and so God's doing this amazing thing here. And they're like, he's like, mm. just, just, nope. 
So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, which is really hard. I mean, yeah, I've, I've blown a ram's horn, and I just can't imagine doing that for the whole walking around a city, the whole... Ugh. Right, it was, it was not tiny. So, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. I know, they're in, I can see them in Jericho. What? I know, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Well, they do that on VeggieTales. The little peas mock them, you know? <laughs> they, throw, they throw slushies on them. <laughs> on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the manor in the same, in the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute, which again, seriously, you know, because yeah. Rahab, you know, the righteous woman who identified that we were going to be here to, and, and aligned herself with us and, and saved our righteous spies, and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So in other words, everything needs to be destroyed. You don't get spoils of war. This is not yours. This is God's. God has claimed this city. And, and really, you know, God has said this is holy ground, and the reason that God's bringing the Israelites in is because he is getting rid of the Canaanites because this is his land. And they have just done so much wickedness that, that he's, clearing, he's clearing it off. And he's chosen the Israelites to be the ones to have the land so that they can do righteous things here and live correctly. And he has taught them and he has, has trained them in his word. And Moses was sent to teach them all of these things. So, so what's going on here is the evil's being cleaned out and the righteous are being brought in. Mm-hmm. Right. And they left and went, right. There's it, it, it's you know there I've read different commentaries that say what would have happened if Abraham had stayed you know what would have happened or what would have happened if they hadn't you know if they had just trusted and and I mean it's all Obvious, the thing that I, you know, that I've come to and I look back on my life, the thing that I've come to is, okay, you can do, well, what would have happened if you had, if they had stayed and they had trusted and da-da-da-da-da? 
But obviously, they were at a place that that wasn't what they were going to do. So their, their choices were just a reflection of where they were. So I am sure that there was an element of refining and, and growing and um, getting them to a place, you know, this place that you look to Egypt to save you. And, and, God, and God knew they were going to do that because Joseph was already there. You know, so it's, I think there's an element of God knows exactly what we need at what point in our life we need it. And everything has been orchestrated to provide that for us. He knows what choices we're going to make. So it's not, I wouldn't say that God told Abraham to go there, but God knew this is, this is going to happen. And I'm, I've got it all in place to bring it full circle and return them. And at the point where he returned them, they had been matured and grown to a very different place where they were going to be ready to go in. Also, one of the things um, that, that I think is really interesting is there's a lot of Jewish commentary about the fact that Job lived in Canaan at, at the time that all of this was happening. And it's believed that Canaan was preserved because of the level of the righteousness of Job. And that Job had died at the point that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt in order to give them this land, that God was waiting for Job to die before he took out the rest of Canaan. That, that Canaan survived as long as it did because of the righteousness of one man. And it's not technically in the Bible, and I don't want to say, you know, yeah, that's what happened, but I think that's a really neat idea to add into this whole element is that, you know, there, there is a reason for God's timing. And, and his, his timing has to do with you and it has to do with the other people. And you might be ready, but they might not be ready. So he's going to get you even more ready. And, you know, he, then when it all comes together, if everybody does their part, it's this amazing thing, which is what's happening right now at Jericho. Now, they go on to not do their parts, and there's some less amazing things that are going to happen. But, you know, this, when it all comes to this point and you're trusting the Lord and he's doing it, then you get these these experiences where, you know, the city, you know, don't take anything in. It's this is this is God's. He's doing this. Do your part. Don't do more. It says, but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Now, did capturing the city involve a battle? It doesn't say that. If the people were all living in the walls of the city and the walls fell down flat, they may well have just died. If this was Shabbat and God did not call them to war and God gave them the city, it's very possible that this was not a go in and have a giant battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It says, then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women. But it doesn't, it does, they it didn't necessarily fight. I mean, it's, if their souls were already downcast and their city that was supposed to protect them just fell down and their gods didn't do anything, there may not have been a fight to be had. 
Yeah, I mean, so so they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the wedge of the sword, or with the edge of the sword. So it's, yes, it's sad. And yet, we we lack this in our in our modern world. We really lack this idea of communal sin. That that this was just a community that was so corrupt that God had determined it was done. And and nothing good was going to come out of this seed. And and he was purifying his land. And and you know, yeah, we we can sit I, I can sit and go, I think war is horrible. And this is sad to me that an entire community died. And I think it was sad to God that an entire community was that completely unrighteous and, and that, you know, not open him. But again, just like with Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah, the person who was righteous didn't die. She saved her whole Rahab saved her whole family. So the person that the person that was not worthy of destruction in that community was fine. And so, so it isn't just like a mass murder in the sense of God just took them all out. He didn't care whether they were righteous or unrighteous. They were just, he took them, you know, he killed them all. No. He spared her and her, yeah, and her whole family. And, and just like with Lot, you know, I mean, his, his family didn't so much want to be saved, but you know, this and, and so this, again, is this idea that one person's righteousness brings blessings on everyone around them. And, you know, so, do what? Yeah. Yeah. Noah's son doesn't really say they were all righteous, and obviously Ham wasn't so much, you know, but they were his children, and God was saving Noah's family. Even in the wilderness, you know, and, and God says, I'm, I'm preserving them because of the promises I made to their forefathers. Not because of them. I'd take them all out, you know, <laughs> but I made the promise to their forefathers. And so, you know, your choice to do righteous impacts the world around you. And, and your choice to do unrighteous impacts the world around you. So... Jericho was turned over to them. Um, uh, oh, so verse 22. But the two men who spied out the land, Joshua said, um, go into the prostitute's house or go into Rahab's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the gold and silver and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. So they didn't get to take them into their own homes. They went in, into the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out to Jericho. So to the day of the time of that writing. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And it just, yeah, and, and it just kind of makes me twitch because, well, and because you don't, no, because the word that's translated, it can mean a prostitute. Oh, yeah, well, it's in there, but it could mean the divorced woman. It could mean the, the woman who'd had adultery. 
which wouldn't have been uncommon in a pagan culture. Um, it could have meant the temple prostitute, but that's really unlikely because she aligned herself with God, so she probably wasn't so in that devote, you know, level of devotion. Um, yeah, so so it's it's quite possible that she was divorced or had had a baby out of wedlock, just as easily as it was that she was a prostitute. But can say there's hope for even me. Right, right. I just, I, the thing that, the thing that bothers me is that pretty much every woman, you know, in the Old Testament is a prostitute, you know, or Sarah. And, and so, so it's, yes, God, God protected her. And so, so it's, I, I cringe when the word prostitute is used to translate that word, because yes, that is a valid translation, but if the context doesn't show it, because to say it's a prostitute, you're basically saying the two righteous spies of Israel went into Jericho and immediately went to the harlot's house. I mean, <laughs> that, that's really, that's the story that, that once you cast it that way, that, you know, the two righteous men of Israel who were sent in to spy out the area went to the prostitute's house and, and she liked them. So she said, hey, save me. As opposed to, the, the word can also be translated innkeeper. So it's very possible there was a divorced woman who was taking care of her family by taking in guests and, and giving them shelter for the night. And the spies went to her house because there was a room available. And she realized who they were and was a righteous person. And so she said, please take care of my family. You know. To me, that's, that version of the story fits a lot better than the spies went to the harlot's house. I mean, it, it just it's such a weird thing. Just to translate it with that prostitute, it changes the whole, the whole story, the whole bigger picture. So regardless, Rahab was righteous enough to attach herself to Israel. They got out, um, and you know, she, was, she was saved because she, because she hid the messengers. Whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. I'm pretty sure they'd be cursed. Yeah. Um, I think Jericho was one of those cities that the archaeologists went looking for it, and they found something, and they're like, oh, there's no evidence that that happened. But then they dug down a few more layers. They're like, oh, yeah, this looks like that happened here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and the... One of the things that I thought was neat when I had my archaeology in the Bible class at Fuller and they were saying, you know, that even, even among unbelievers in the archaeology community, the reality is if you want money for a dig, say you're going to go dig where the Bible said something happened and you'll get funded because they know you'll find something. And, and so, yeah, it's real. It's really real. And they're finding more and more amazing things. They've found uh, money with 
the picture of Joseph on it. They found a statue that they think was him in an area outside of Egypt that was probably Gomer. Um, you know, they, yeah, so, um, yeah, they, it's, it's just there amazing. Well, there's a couple different reports of that that I, that I, right, right. It's fascinating. So, um, yeah. So, questions, thoughts, revelations, brilliance. <laughs> oh, should we? Yeah, something separate. <laughs> well, I'll bless you and we'll stop recording and then we can get on each other. <laughs> May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace.